You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Hey, good evening, everyone. Hey, if you're new with us, my name is Joe. If I haven't met you, I'd like to meet with you and get to know you uh, before we get out of here this evening. Um, I'm just one of the leaders here, so glad to be here. Glad to have you guys here. Super excited to dive into God's Word here in a minute. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke for me. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Let me read. And as he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And please join me in prayer before I begin to preach. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this gathered group of people that are here, Lord, we pray that your spirit would just be on the move in our midst and that our hearts would be open and that our, that our minds would be fixated upon you and that, and that like I heard a guy say yesterday, that, that our noses would just have ink stains on them uh, from, from being so close to your word, from, from being so tied to the reading and the instructions from your word, Lord God, that it would just mark us, that it would mark our lives from the inside out. But I know that there are many of us that come in here today and we're struggling with different doubts and fears and worries and reasons to be anxious. And this word from the scriptures today is be anxious for nothing. And so, Lord, as I begin to preach uh, this text in our midst, Lord, I pray that it would be as though you are truly standing in our midst and that your word is being preached. And I pray that it would be powerful. I pray, God, that you would remove any hindrances from our eyes or from our ears so that we might see and that we might hear from you. I pray, God, that you would remove any spiritual hindrances whatsoever that would, that would seek to hinder the preaching or the hearing of your word. Pray, God, that you would, that you would just come and be 
tangibly a present among us by your spirit and that you would really just challenge our hearts and what it means to really trust you. Challenge us and, and encourage us, Lord God, and remind us that, that though we may face things in this life that seem monumental to us, that seem to be uh, um, too big for us, that, that really you are much bigger and much greater than anything that we could ever worry about. So help us to cast our cares upon you. Lord God, we pray that you really would just be the star of the show this evening. And that you would reign and rule in our hearts. And that you would teach us about what it means to live trusting in who you are. So Lord, I pray that and trust you to answer that prayer. Trust you to be among us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen, amen. So we're continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke, which we've been in for well over a year now. I think there's well over 50, maybe nearly 60 some messages on our website, and we're only in Luke chapter 12, which lets you know we're going to be here for maybe another year or two um, based upon the length of the gospel of Luke. And I've been trying to say this every week to continue driving the point home that the reason we're doing this is because we really believe in the slow soaking of the word of God. We have a tendency to come to the word of God and then leave it too quickly. We have a tendency to come, we skim over the words and we... We read that and we say, I've heard that, I've been there. And we don't give the Holy Spirit the time that that maybe he wants to take that word and drill it deeply within our hearts. And so we have chosen to take a really slow cooking process through the gospel of Luke. And so we are overjoyed that you are here and overjoyed that we get to study this together. John Calvin commenting on this passage of scripture said this, He said, he who is fully convinced that the author of our life has an intimate knowledge of our condition will entertain no doubt that he will make abundant provision for our wants. In other words, like like if we truly believe that, that God knows everything about us and that he loves us unconditionally, if this is, if this is what we truly believe about our father in heaven, then, then we will be compelled to trust him. We will be compelled to trust that that he will provide everything that we could ever need instead of worrying about everything. It's out of a deep understanding of God, who he is, and his character, his faithful character, that we are enabled to trust him for who he is while resisting these urges and the temptations to be worried about our physical provision and our care. This, this teaching that we come to today in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34, comes closely on the heels of Jesus' response to a dude in the previous passages. And he, it's a dude who comes to Jesus and wants Jesus to help him get half of his inheritance, if you remember correctly from last week's message. And the response from Jesus is pretty simple, pretty straightforward. He basically says, hey man... Like, don't selfishly covet what you do not have. Don't attempt to stockpile things here on earth, but instead treasure God above all things. This is a, this is a problem for us because we have a tendency to treasure those things which we see, feel, taste, or touch. We have, we have a tendency to treasure those things above God himself. And the message last week was 
treasure Christ above all things. And so then in our text today, Jesus follows that teaching as he, as he begins to teach his disciples. He turns his attention from the crowds to then turning his attention to his disciples. Now, I want you to just take a moment before we dive into the rest of this text to put yourself in the place of the disciples. I want you to imagine that, that this man named Jesus has come to you. He's a minister. He's a leader. He's, he's going. He's the Messiah. He is God. We understand those things. The disciples had some understanding of who Jesus is, but did not have that fully. At this point, for the disciples, this, this, this Jesus is a man who came to them and said, Hey, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. We're going to change the entire world. It's a radical mission that I'm calling you guys to. And put yourself in the disciples' position just for a moment as Jesus is talking and they're, they are observing his, his confrontation with the religious hypocrites earlier. And then, and then they're observing Jesus's, um, interaction now with this man who is really concerned about wealth. And then he shares a story about a man who's going to build bigger barns and stockpile stuff for him to make himself feel better and to try to soothe his soul, right? And Jesus is like, hey, treasure me. Well, now as he's talking to the disciples, he's talking to a completely different group of people than he's talking to in the crowds, He's talking to a group of people that he has called to follow him on mission. He's already told the disciples, hey, leave everything behind. Leave your homes. Leave your families. Leave the, the comfort. Leave all of that behind and come follow me. Take, take only like one pair of clothes, a, a small knapsack, and we're, we're going to take off on this massive mission. He's talking to men and women in his crowd that have, that he's drawn close to him that, that he knows here soon. He, if we remember right, he's, he's turned his face towards Jerusalem. He's, he's moving towards Jerusalem so that he can be crucified. And as he takes his crowd of disciples with him, these are like the, the early leaders of the church. He's developing disciples who will then become leaders of the early church in the book of Acts. And he's saying to them, Hey, hey, I've already called you to follow me. I've already called you to follow me and give up everything you had. So he's not talking to people who have a lot of stuff. He's talking to people who have been called to leave things behind. And he's teaching them about anxiety. What he basically says to them is need to resist anxiety. This is kind of the big idea of the text in that Jesus is going to teach us tonight what it looks like to resist Anxiety, resist worry, resist fear. These things which can completely overtake us and cause us to no longer pursue the mission of God that has been laid out before us. The main message of the text is that we are to resist anxiety. I want you to think about this with me for a minute too. Like, we often struggle with anxiety, don't we? I mean, if we're to be honest, we struggle with worry. We struggle worrying oftentimes about how we're going to pay a bill or making a needed purchase. I mean, think about it. How often do you find yourself losing sleep and stressing out about how you're going to make ends meet? How often do you find yourself worrying about the amount of time that you might have left here on earth? How often do you catch yourself wondering if God will really come through this time? 
How often do you, do you choose not to invest your time, your talent, and your treasure because you are too worried that you won't be able to make ends meet? And we all struggle to remember that life doesn't revolve around our physical needs. We struggle to remember that, that we are limited in our abilities and our understanding. We struggle to remember that God is more than adequately sufficient to meet our needs. We struggle to remember these things. We struggle to remember that, that God is generous and good. He's generous and good. And that's the God that calls us to him and calls us on mission to follow him. He's generous and good. We struggle to remember that, that we are a part of the good shepherd's flock. We, we, we forget, we struggle to remember that our father in heaven is a good father and we are part of his flock. We've been adopted in. If you're a believer here and you've given your life to Christ and you've surrendered to him and you're trusting in him, then, then you are part of the flock of a, of a good shepherd, the best shepherd that ever was. But we struggle to remember we struggle to remember that God calls us to give ourselves to an eternal kingdom. We oftentimes get our minds and our eyes and our hearts fixated, again, on physical things in front of us. And we, we forget that we are to invest ourselves in a kingdom that will never pass away. And this is, this is the reason for this text. This is the reason that, that we need this. It, uh, for, for who we are as a church, I want you to think about this for a minute. And I want you to think about the life of our church and where we are. We started a few years ago in our living room. There were six of us then. Um, and at this point, we are right around 31 members. I want, you, I want us to understand that we are not what you might call a... Uh, a sustained church. We are not a, uh, uh, we are not an established church. And to some extent, maybe we'll never get there, so to speak. If we, like, if we continue to plant other churches, then I hear that every time you go to plant another church, then in reality, you're replanting the first one. But some of the benchmarks for us just to continue moving towards sustainability and pursue this vision of reaching others with the gospel in our community and to plant other churches that continue to plant other churches that continue to make other disciples by the power of the gospel. One of the, just one of the very first benchmarks is, is people sustainability. Meaning that we need to get to roughly 40 members. Right now we're at 31. We have a long ways to go still. We also need to go to a place to where our, our, our finances are sustained by its membership. Meaning that the membership actually pays the bills of the church. Right now, we are supported by about 63,000 external funds. Meaning that the 31 members of our church currently give roughly 20 grand to cover our $83,000 budget. Let me just tell you, $83,000 budget for a church plan is very small. A lot of church planters that I roll with and understand and get to know, and they've got like $200,000 year one budgets that they have to raise. And so I want you to understand where we're at. Why? Because I want you to understand a little bit of where my heart maybe has been over the last year. But I also want you to understand maybe the way that God wants to speak into this season of our church life. As he says, resist the urge to be anxious. Very easy for me to become anxious when I start thinking about all of those different benchmarks and goals because I begin to wonder like, God, when are you going to get us there and how's this going to work? Like I begin to get anxious about, hey, God, when are you going to give us more people so that we can develop more leaders who can lead in more areas of ministry so that we can serve our community in, 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 in a healthier way? 
How are you going to help us in terms of the financial resources just so that we can pay the bills? Not to mention the fact that my family actually lives off of that budget as well. So I, like, I got seven kids to feed, right? And some college to pay for and so on and so forth. House payments to make and car payments to make and the same as everybody else. And so like for me, when I approach this topic of anxiety, I got all sorts of things that I can stress out about. But as Jesus speaks this word, not only to me as, as your pastor and as a young church planner, then he also is going to speak this word of resisting anxiety to a young congregation of people who are really just coming together and learning what it means to plant a church that, that gets on mission and works hard and invests ourselves, our time, our talent, and our treasure in such a way that people's lives in this city are radically changed. Not so that we make the front page of the newspaper. But so that the glory gets brought to Jesus, that the glory gets brought to God, and people are one to Christ. See, people are not going to get one to Christ just because I might have some capability of preaching. People will be one to Christ. I believe and we believe, our leadership core believes that people will be one to Christ through the ministry of this church as we continue to plant it and as God continues to breathe life into it. People will be one to Christ as disciples are made who are on fire for Jesus and who are resisting the urge to be anxious. Because what happens is when we become anxious, we become more self-focused, more, more things in front of us focused. And if we are God-focused and trusting in Him, then He will continue to do work in our lives in such a way that others will be one to Christ. That, that, that's in a nutshell the way that this message kind of speaks into who we are as a young church. We're not much different than these 12 disciples that are sitting around Jesus that day. Medium, uh, medium income range here in Hastings is uh, less than $42,000 a year for most. And I know most of us, if not all of us in this church, most if not all make far less than that. Far less than that. We are not what you may call the blue collar or maybe the, the Lachlan crowd. That's never really not who we are, right? That's okay. This is who God is drawing into the fellowship of this church. And you think about these disciples and they got to be thinking, hey, you, you want me to do what? Like, you want me to think about continuing to invest myself in the, in the mission of this ministry, Jesus? I, I'm not quite sure how we're going like, to. I'm not like the guy in the last passage. I don't have uh, storehouses and storerooms full of all sorts of grains and things. So then as he speaks to the disciples, I think he wants to, he wants to communicate to them and to us that we need to continue to resist anxiety. And so then what we get in this text is that we get four biblical truths that I kind of want to outline and kind of get in front of you. And my prayer and my hope is that the Holy Spirit will use these four truths as a way to really help you to resist worry. And biblical truth number one is this. Uh, that we, we resist anxiety by remembering that life does not revolve around physical things. I want us to remember this. We resist anxiety as we remember that life doesn't revolve around physical things. And to bring this kind of out of the whole church planting, pastoral kind of confession and exhortation realm and just make it really personal. But I struggle to remember. I struggle with this. All of us struggle in these areas. We struggle to remember that life doesn't revolve around the physical things in front of us. And I struggle in this way, specifically uh, in, in all these things like in taste, see, and touch. Like when, when our bathroom needs to be remodeled. 
Like when our bathroom needs to be remodeled, and I'm not quite sure how we're going to pay for that, as well as keep food on the table, as well as continue to invest in the mission and the ministry that God has given us. Like I struggle, and I, and I struggle with, with anxiety and worry then. Like, God, how are we going to continue moving forward in a healthy way? How are we going to get this bathroom remodeled so I don't have to go down the stairs and use the toilet downstairs? And how are we going to do this in a way where the bills can still be paid? Like, I struggle when I begin to realize how much it costs to send children to college. We're getting ready to send child number two. Child number one is back visiting this week, which I'm stoked for. Because her, that means her and I can go out for coffee. Right? We can talk about how life has been going and we can share our worries and our struggles and our anxieties with one another and get our eyes off of the things that are in front of us and just talk about what God is doing in our hearts and our lives. And so I'm stoked for that. Man, you guys gotta know like where I'm at as I as I'm as I'm talking through this and you think about it like we're coming into the Christmas season, right? Like Christmas season can be really heavy and really hard for a lot of people, not just because families in this day and age can be a real wreck and a real mess sometimes, but, but really the reality is just the expense of it, right? Christmas has kind of moved away from this spiritual holiday whereby we celebrate the birth of Christ and we, we spend all our time on Facebook complaining and moaning about red cups at Starbucks and, and we, you know, I mean, I mean, and then we, we got to spend a ton of money on Christmas. It's become so commercialized. And then now, now what's associated with Christmas is all this anxiety of how am I going to be able to buy good gifts for people? And then on the back end, now you got credit card bills you got to be able to pay, right? Run yourself in debt, rob Peter to pay Paul. I mean, a lot of us roll around in that and it becomes really difficult. Christmas season can be very difficult for many and it's not, it's really no different for us and our family. And I begin to worry about how we're going to, you know, for our family of, you know, seven kids and, and then we've got one plus, we've got another one with us. Um, how are we going to kind of make ends meet during that time? And I, I struggle when I see financial reports for our church. Like sometimes when I realize we have less than a month of expenses in the bank, um, I, I really get anxious. You talk to Eric. Eric and Brandon and I have served on our finance team since day one. And there are weeks that they get a text message from me. And I'm like, Dude, I don't think I should take a paycheck this coming week. And they're like, nah, God's going to provide. And he does his thing. And he, he always does. I'll never forget the time that, that I was struggling through, anxiously wondering how we would pay the bills for our church. Not even kidding you. We, we had like, it was like 350 bucks in the bank and it was a Friday. It was a Friday and I got a phone call from Bob Thune in Omaha and he said, we're going to give your church 20 grand because I believe in, in, in the ministry of the gospel through you. And I, I believe that God is going to continue to plant this church and that it's going to produce fruit, which is disciples who invest heavily into the move of the gospel in your community. And so we're going to send this to you guys so that, so that your church has some cushion. I'll never forget that day. Had the, the, the suburban or the Tahoe full of kids. And I remember Charity in the backseat going, Dad, why are you crying? What's wrong? I remember like, oh, Jesus just, just like paid our bills. Freaking out. And God's done really miraculous things. So even as I just kind of confess some of those heart areas of where I've been, like how I struggle with anxiety and how I struggle with worry as well, I just want you to remember that the life does not revolve around physical provision. Now, what, what does the text say? Let's get back to the text and away from all the stories. What does the text say about our struggle in this area? Look at verses 22 through 23. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. In other words, life doesn't revolve around mere physical things. 
We're not created to anxiously pursue the filling of our bellies and the covering of our bodies, though I am very thankful that everybody here is covered. Thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. But though food and clothing are really good things, right? They're really good things. We were not created for them. We were not created for them, which means we weren't created to make all of our existence about them or about the obsessive pursuit of a new thing to like dress up our out of shape bodies with. We weren't created to have our lives controlled by the next purchase or the next meal. And life doesn't revolve around physical things. And I want you to think of the message of the gospel. Now turn your attention to the message of the gospel as you think about the way this text speaks to this principle. Like we are sinful. We are sinful and a fallen and a broken people. We struggle to believe that God will be faithful. We struggle to believe that God will be faithful to us. And so, so we struggle to remember that Jesus didn't die on a cross so that we could sit around worrying about our physical needs. He did not die so that we could sit around worrying. Jesus didn't die on a cross so that we could sit around full of anxiety over physical issues. Jesus didn't die so that we could have every physical desire met either. Jesus died on a cross so that we could come to him and by faith in him receive new life spiritual life. And this new life that he offers is not conditional on the amount of stuff that we have. It's conditional upon us being made right with our heavenly father by the work of the Christ at the cross. And when we begin to resist anxiety and worry by remembering that life doesn't revolve around physical things, we in fact then trade our faulty trust in things that we can see, taste, and touch. We trade that faulty trust for the assurance that we find in Christ who came to remind us that life doesn't revolve around physical things. Turn now to biblical truth number two. It'll be in verses 24 through 28. Biblical truth number two is that we resist anxiety by remembering that we are limited, but God is limitless. He's limitless. There's, there's nothing that can limit him. This is good news for weary souls like us. God is limitless. We are limited. I struggle to remember. I struggle to remember how limited I really am and how sufficient God really is. I struggle with anxiety and worry. When I forget that regardless of how hard I work, I will never be able to provide everything. I struggle with anxiety when I forget that I am incapable of fixing everything. Which again, leads me to work harder to try to fix everything. And then what happens is I like wear myself out. Which then leads to more anxiety because I begin to worry that if I can't fix it, then who could possibly fix it? Anybody know where that, where I am in that? Anybody else ever been there too? Mm-hmm. I struggle with anxiety when I begin to believe that I am superhuman and that God is the one who is actually limited. But the reality is that I am limited and God is limitless. And as you look at the text, look at verses 24 through 28, and Jesus begins by saying in verse 24, he says, Consider the ravens. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. 
They've neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value, underline that, of how much more value are you than the birds? Think about this. Like birds don't build storehouses like the wealthy man in our previous text. And they also don't spend any moment of their lives planting fields for food. But doesn't God feed them? God feeds them, right? If God values little ravens who, by the way, are typically abandoned at birth by their physical parents, if God cares for them and feeds them, won't he care more for you and I? Aren't we more valuable to God than birds because we've been created in his image? God has literally placed his image within you and I. Sin has marred that. And so that's why we need Jesus to continue reflecting the glory and the grandeur of God and the love and the grace and the mercy and the faithfulness of God to the world around us. If God has placed that image in us to reflect like a mirror to the city and to the community and to the family and to the friends and to the job site around us, if God has done that in us, doesn't he then value us far more than birds? And doesn't that mean then that he will care for you and I? And we are limited. God is limitless. Look at verses 25 through 26. Jesus says, which of you by being anxious, catch this, can add a single hour to his span of life? And if, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? I kind of love like Jesus' little sarcastic tone. Like, why are you anxious about it? Can you add a single moment to your life? Hello? I can just see his disciples like, oh, there he goes again, getting all sarcastic with us. And Jesus like, tone it down a little bit. Why are you anxious about the rest, right? In other words, none of us have the power to lengthen our lives. There's nothing we can do that will add a single second, moment, or day to our lives. God says, God says that adding an hour to our lives is a small thing. Catch that. Like I know, I know it's, sometimes it can be hard to kind of like drill down to the words of each sentence. But just, Jesus calls us a small thing. I want you to think about how hard it would really be. How monumental of a real task it really would be for you and I to actually add even a second to the end of our life. How hard would that be? It's impossible. It's impossible. We worry about it. And my mom died like almost two years ago and I've caught myself at times worrying. How am I going to die? What's it going to be like? How painful is that going to be? How scary is this going to be? What about, what about my family around me? And so I struggle then when I think about death and I begin to wonder, God, how can I add even a more, even a second or a moment? And it's impossible because you and I don't have that kind of power. And yet Jesus calls us a small thing. Yet we know that for us, it's actually an insurmountable task to even add a second. Jesus calls what we call big, he calls small. The things that you and I are anxious over and that we worry about, that we think are so big that they're blinding us and it's, it's causing us to want to crawl in the corner and suck our thumb. He calls that small. He calls it small. Why worry about it then, right? We are limited. We are limited, but God isn't. You must remember this. Like Jesus continues his remedy in this for, for not being anxious in verse 27. 
It says this, says, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. In other words, think of how unassuming and uninvolved. Think of that word, unassuming and uninvolved. The flowers of the fields are in adding anything to their own growth. They do nothing. Like a seed gets dropped in the ground, water comes, nutrients come, sunlight comes, flower pops up, petals come, more flowers come up on top. They do nothing. They just stand there, right? And you and I, we, we work, we toil, we strive, and in most cases, we must. I'm not going to argue for a passive, well, let's just sit back in the lawn chair and just, you know, let go and let God just do it all. Like God is doing it all. The point is not be lazy. The point is don't be anxious. Because the control is in our hands. And if these flowers just stand there bringing absolutely nothing to the table are sustained day in and day out. They don't make their own clothing. They don't work for their clothing. Yet they stand there displaying all of their beautiful colors for, for the entire world to look upon. It's a great metaphor for you and I that, that as we stand before the watching world, the beauty of the gospel should, should be so alive in us because of the way that we are trusting in Christ. See, anxiety is the arch enemy of the work of the gospel in you and I's hearts. We're to be like flowers. We're to be like flowers who stand beautifully in front of a watching world as the gospel does its work. And regardless of how much we stress ourselves out about striving to make ends meet, but if God doesn't bless us, we are hopeless and helpless. We're still helpless. But if God doesn't bless us, we're hopeless. This is why we must remember that we are limited, but God is what? Limitless. And verse 28, Jesus continues. He continues his exhortation, revealing the power and the sufficiency of our Father in heaven in light of our limitations. It's good for us to own this. It's good for us to just stand in this and say, we are limited. It's so good to say that. It's, it's freeing to say, I am limited. God, you are limitless. You can do anything you so choose and desire. Jesus says, but if, if God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And so Jesus reminds us that the grass of the fields, which is used to get the fire going and keep the stove hot in the living room, is still clothed beautifully. Because of that, we, we can then trust that in our limited amount of faith and in our limited amount of time here on earth, that, that in our limited ability, right, to bring anything of value to the table, God is more capable, more than capable of providing our needs. We've got to remember that though we are limited, God is what? Limitless. I think of the gospel. Take this down into the gospel again and make gospel application to what we are learning about this biblical truth. 
See, it would be far too easy for me as I preach this message, as I interpret this text for you, it would be far too easy for me to just say, here's a list of four biblical truths that you must go do, and then what's going to happen? Legalism. You're going to begin to think that it's all about what you must do, and then when you find that you can't do this perfectly, you're going to get what? Anxious. And then you're going to be giving, again, living under this, this unhealthy, sinful, and ungodly weight of anxiety and guilt. I want you to be set free. When we worship God and when we, when we sing music in this church and when we come together in gospel community uh, during the week and when gospel communities come together in one large gospel community on Sundays, I want us to be so excited and set free from the weight of guilt and worry and fear and anxiety that we come in joyful and excited over the chance and the opportunity to worship Him together because the gospel is making a difference. See, if I, if I leave us at that list and I never take us to gospel application, then we'll live under that weight of anxiety and I want us to be set free. I know that all of us in this room have many, many reasons to be anxious. So how does the gospel connect to this struggle, right? And this biblical truth. Well, we resist anxiety and worry by remembering that we are limited, but God is limitless, right? That's what we were just learning. What limitation could we possibly put upon God? What limitation would God actually put upon himself when it comes to the care of his people? If you're here and you call Jesus your king, you surrender your life to him, you believe that he can save you. If you believe that you've been bought by blood, by the, by the blood of Christ, you've been purchased and you've been changed and you're being transformed and you've been bought out of an old family, you've been put into a new family, therefore no reason to be anxious. No reason to be anxious. And even in the moments when you think that you are actually God and that there is no limits upon you, and maybe that's not you, but this is for me because there are so many times that I often think, I have no limitations. I'm like Superman. I can fly and then I fall off the balcony and break my neck. Even in those moments when I fail to believe the gospel, the gospel is still there to set me free once again and say, though you've been anxious and though you thought you were like Superman and can undo everything, fix everything, be there for everybody, and now you're anxious because you're realizing that you are imperfect, remember that God is limitless. He didn't hold back anything for us. He gave his son, his sinless son, to pay an infinite price for you and I. So then we can come to Christ. We can come to the Father through Christ and we can say, Father, Father, I am limited beyond my ability to understand or to do anything, but you, Father, are more than able, more than capable, more than willing to save me, change me, and provide for me. Therefore, I have no reason to be anxious or to worry. We can live free from worry. And the child of God, the blood-bought child of God, in that person's life, there is no room and no space for worry and anxiety. It is counterintuitive, counterproductive to the work of the gospel. The biblical truth number three. Biblical truth number three. We resist anxiety by remembering that God is generous and good. And sometimes for me, like, I struggle to remember how adequately generous and abundantly good God really is. 
Sometimes I begin to seek comfort in the building of my own little slice of heaven, regardless of how I may build that. I try to find comfort in my own little slice of heaven, and then I get anxious and I worry because my little slice of heaven that I build isn't perfect and it keeps falling apart. And it always needs work. Like that's when I struggle with anxiety. That's when I struggle to believe that God is actually good and generous. And in the text, in verses 29 through 32, Jesus addresses this and he says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. In other words, when Jesus is saying this in these verses, he's, he's exhorting us once again not to worry, not to be anxious. He's saying, anxiety be gone. He's saying, anxiety and worry be gone. Do not be enslaved to that. It's slavery. It's a cruel taskmaster to be under the weight of anxiety and worry. This time, though, he ties our anxiety and our worry to the pagan or unbelieving practices of the culture around us. In a sense, Jesus is saying, hey, 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 you're God's kids. You're God's kids. You're my father in heaven. You belong to him. You've been purchased. You've been bought. You've been adopted. You didn't bring anything to the table. You belong to him. And because you're God's kids, you have no reason to worry because God is generous and good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is generous and good? You should think about it for a minute. Do you believe that God is generous and good? Has the picture of the cross so captured your existence, your imagination, your heart, your emotions, your entire life? Has the picture of the generosity of your Father in heaven so captured you that nothing else can cause you to worry or be anxious? You're God's kids. And living with this understanding of God's generosity and goodness frees us. I want us to be set free. It frees us from the obsessive and and self-glorifying pursuit of, of worldly possessions and worrying over physical things like the world around us does. These are things that everyone around us does anyways. We are to be like a shining city on a hill. Right? We're to be changed, transformed, different, set apart, holy, different from the world around us. And yet the world around us has the very same basic needs that we have. And if we walk around beaten and under the weight of guilt and worry and fear and anxiety, how are we to be a mirror for the gospel in our community? God is generous and good. God is generous and good. And any time that you and I struggle with fear, doubt, worry, anxiety, we can lean into this principle, this biblical truth that God doesn't change. He is faithful. He is good. He is generous. Jesus continues painting this picture of our good and generous Heavenly Father when he says in verse 32, look at it, fear not. It's like the song that we sang tonight. We sang this new song tonight that most of you probably never heard and didn't know. And one of the best lines in that new song is called, I will not fear. One of the best lines in that song is probably in the very first slide where it says, 
adopted son, I'm not alone. And how many of you in this room are afraid to be alone? And you just fear that, that you're it. You struggle to trust that God is good and generous. And yet, Jesus says in this text in verse 32, Fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If our Father in heaven, who is the great shepherd, is that good and that generous, that he would give us the kingdom. And there's, he's limitless. Our Father in heaven is the good shepherd, and we are his flock or his family. We are his kids, and he is our Father. He would not withhold anything from us. We have no reason to fear because God really is generous and good. And biblical truth number four. Number four, we we resist anxiety by remembering to invest our treasure in eternity. I struggle to remember oftentimes for me personally, I struggle to remember that God calls me to invest myself in his kingdom. It's so easy to give in to temptation, right? It's easy to give in to the temptation of not investing in God's kingdom because there isn't the immediate payoff. And oftentimes to invest in God's kingdom is sacrificial. Oftentimes the investment that God calls me to make of my time, my talent, and my treasure, which is my money, the ways that God has, has wired me and the gifts he's given me, as well as my time. When I begin to think about investing that in the kingdom, I can think of much quicker payoffs. So I struggle. Every time I give our tithes or our offerings, every time, every time we as a church, I want you to understand that we as a church believe so much in the generous and goodness of our Father in heaven. We believe in this calling so much that we give roughly 15% of our church's income away. We support a church planter. We support Neely, who's coming in next week, as missionaries. We support gospel ministry because we believe in this principle of investing in the kingdom and in the, in the ministry of the gospel throughout the kingdom. And so we support a church planter named Adam in Lincoln, who's getting ready to launch his church in the Havelock area. We support Neely. We, we also support a ministry here in town called Character Ministries, Dale Phillips, and the way that he goes around and shares stories to win people to Christ. We send money to him on a monthly basis. We also uh, support um, uh, Youth for Christ here in the community as well, because we believe in the way that Youth for Christ spreads that message of the gospel to young kids in our community. Now, I'm not talking about me personally. I'm not going to stand up here and give you my list of what our family does. That's inappropriate. But it is good for you guys to hear what we, the leaders of the church, have said that as a church we would continue to support because we want you to understand that we believe this. We give 10, 10% of what comes in. is roughly 15% total. But 10% of that goes straight back to our denomination to help plant other churches. This is how much we buy into the gospel working in and through us. And yet, yet personally at home in my budget and, and, and then as a pastor, I struggle when I write those checks. I struggle because I struggle to believe that God really will continue to come through. I struggle to invest in eternity. Jesus addresses this issue in verse 33 when he says this. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Jesus is literally saying that if we are free from the bondage of anxiety and worry, we will invest in eternity where our treasure will produce eternal fruit. Selling our unneeded stuff, giving to others who are in need, investing in the ministry of the local church. These are all great places and great ways to invest our treasure in the kingdom of God. We are called to resist anxiety by investing in the kingdom of heaven where the bank doesn't file bankruptcy, where no one steals the fruit of the investment and where no moth can eat the currency because the currency of investing in the gospel reaps an eternal benefit. When you look into the eyes of people that you know are coming to Christ and believing because of the way that you invest your life wholeheartedly in the gospel in the same way that Jesus invested his life completely in the message of the gospel from before the foundations of the world. When you, when you, when you lean into that, and trust me, like anxiety, fear, worry begins to fade. Your will struggle. But one of the ways that we discontinue struggling with anxiety in this area is, as I said, by investing in eternity. I'm going to ask our music team to come forward as I begin to kind of wrap up this final point and move into a conclusion. And Jesus wraps up his treatment of resisting anxiety in verse 34. Verse 34 is home plate for us this evening. Verse 34 is the home run. Verse 34, you could say, is really the point of the entire text. It's really where Jesus was trying to get to. Like when Jesus begins talking about anxiety and all of our needs, and he begins to give these directions on how we are to deal and resist anxiety, I think what he's really wanting to get to is this. Because in verse 34, he says this. He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want you to think about this in terms of the way that you spend your money. It's easy. If you go to your checkbook or you go to your bank account, you'll find what's important to you. If you begin to track the way that you spend your money, what Jesus is literally saying is where you place that treasure, that's where your heart is. That's what is gripping your heart. That's what is rooted itself in your heart. That actually is what is controlling your heart is where you place your treasure. So I think about where I spend my money. Oftentimes, and over the years, God has really had to do a huge work deep within my heart in terms of trusting him, not being anxious, not being worried. He's literally saying that it's obvious where someone's heart is in regards to anxiety. Because what he says is that when we place our earthly treasure in earthly things, it's an indicator that our hearts are focused on things of this earth rather than things above. And the Apostle Paul later in the epistle says, man, leaving those things behind and pressing on towards the upwards call in Christ Jesus, I set my sights on a goal that is otherworldly. It's eternal. Like you think of the Apostle Paul and you think, well, that guy's superhuman, right? Super apostle. I'm not him. No, you are just like him if you're following the same Jesus 
united by the same spirit into the same church, which means you do have what it takes to resist anxiety this way. We can all be set free from this struggle with anxiety as we look to the cross. By looking to the cross of Christ, we see our Father in heaven who bids us to come to Him without fear. He is the same Father who didn't withhold, I'm going to say it again, He didn't didn't withhold anything. He didn't withhold a single drop of Christ's blood that saves you and I and washes us clean and then continues to wash us clean with the Spirit's power as we are enabled to confess and repent of our struggles with anxiety. In other words, it's a picture of the generosity of the cross of Christ that actually enables our hearts to prioritize the investment in the kingdom through the message of the gospel and the work of the local church as we seek to bring the gospel to those who are poor in spirit and alienated from the love of God. We resist anxiety when we invest our treasure in eternity. Charles Spurgeon had this to say. Should be on a slide for you guys. Charles Spurgeon had this to say regarding this text. He says, your immortal soul is worth far more than that poor carcass of yours, which will soon become food for worms. All the things that you have, what are they compared with your inner self, your real self, your heart, your soul, your spirit. In other words, we have no reason to worry because God cares more for our soul than anything else, which means that that as long as God sees fit to keep our souls on this earth, He will continue to provide for our earthly bodies. So if we're going to resist anxiety, we must remember those four things. (coughs) Life doesn't revolve around our felt needs. We are limited, but God is limitless. God is abundantly generous and adequately good, which is why we are called to invest our treasure in eternity. <clears throat> All of these biblical truths that we've learned tonight as we studied this <clears throat> in relation to anxiety is like soothing nourishment for souls, which is really what leads us into communion here in a moment. As we move into our time of communion together, I want, I want to lead us into that by saying this. I want to say that the reason we celebrate communion every week after the sermon is so that, so that we as a family can celebrate. Like think of this word celebrate. So that we can celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which saves us and makes us whole again. What we're doing is we're celebrating the gospel together. We're rehearsing the gospel together as a family that has been bought and paid for. We're we're, we're rehearsing and celebrating Jesus together by engaging in communion together. If you're a Christ follower, then our invitation to you is to join us in this. You don't have to be a member of our church, but you do need to be a Christ follower. And if you're not a Christ follower or, or if you're here and you say, yeah, I follow Jesus, but the whole idea of communion kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable, that's okay. Like no pressure on you. My hope and my prayer though is that God would move you to a place of celebration and joy. 
And that when you reach that place of celebration and joy in the gospel and the picture of Christ and the picture of your broken Savior and your bloody Savior, and when you find joy and celebration in that, that then at that point you will be compelled by the Holy Spirit to engage in communion together as a family. But we're not saying that we want you to come and do that now if that's not where you're at. That's okay. No pressure. We're here to pray with you. We're here to answer questions if you have it. We just invite you to come. And so as we celebrate communion together, as we close in worship, please come in a spirit of joy because of the generosity of our good Father in heaven who gave his only sinless son on behalf of sinners so that you and I could live as sons and daughters of the King without worry and without anxiety over anything. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Father, as we wrap up our time in the scriptures this evening, as we engage in practice of communion, remembering the gospel, rehearsing the gospel, celebrating the gospel. Give us joy, Lord God, over what you have done at the cross of Christ so that we, weak and weary and poor and helpless, simple people can come to you and find hope in you and find rest in you and, and find a place that we can trust in. Remove every shred of anxiety, doubt, worry or fear and help us to trust in the character of our good father in heaven who did not withhold anything for us i pray this lord jesus in the name of the lord jesus amen hey thanks for letting me preach i love you guys let's enjoy some communion and if you need prayer there'll be a couple of us near the front thanks from the well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.